summer at City Hope begins today, y'all. Woo! I am so, so, so pumped to be in church with you. And uh, today, I told you last week, we got a special surprise for you today. And that is that today, six people are bringing the message today in six minutes each. That each one of them have six minutes, and they're going to share today's message with you. Are you ready for that? Yep. We're calling it, we're calling it six in six. All right, six in six. And uh, really the topics of today's message come from some core values. I call them cultural values that we have. These are some things that really uh, were, they were, they were the motivators that, that were behind launching City Hope Church. These were things, actually these are things I've, we've never even talked about here at church on a Sunday before. And I, I was like, man, why, why haven't we talked about this? And so we're going to go through six different cultural values today. And Jacob Aiken's going to kick us off with over the top grace. All right. So y'all give it up for Jacob. Yeah. So over the top grace is this. We believe in God's reckless pursuit of the one. All right. The ragamuffin, as we call it. The ragamuffin. The one who thinks they're not worthy. Right. No one is too far gone. And then we're going to talk. We're going to talk. Uh, Ariel. Ariel's going to talk about passionate worship. Y'all give it up for Ariel today. Passionate worship. We believe in the life-changing presence of God that floods our hearts. When, when we worship together, when we get together like this, God shows up in a powerful way. And then we have a vacant seat right here because our beloved Tim Turner is going to be preaching via video today on consistent excellence. All right, let's give it up for Tim. If you're watching, man, we love you. The reason he's not able to be here is he, he is um, in command a, 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 on base. And so he, he's not able to be at more than one service uh, at, at a time. So he, we recorded him earlier and he's going to bring the message via video today. Y'all going to love it. He's talking on consistent excellence. Then Jason Moody's bringing the heat on extravagant generosity. Yeah, give it up for Jason. So our, the thought behind this is we remember the sacrifice that God made for us. We remember what he did for us. And, and we simply want to make a difference with our resources by giving back to him. By using what he's given us. And then Maddie Ray coming up with joyful celebration. It's a, it's a cultural value for us. Joyful celebration is, is this. We always find a reason to celebrate. This isn't City Hope. Uh, liturgical church <laughs> oh, 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 oh righty then <laughs> those of you Ace Ventura fans in the house you'll know that one joyful celebration we believe that church is supposed to be a party not a presentation alright and then Allie's going to close it up with relentless hope and that, that is, yeah, give it up for Allie today. And, and this is, we, we believe this. We believe in a better today. Come on, somebody. Not, not you know, one of these days when, when everybody starts acting right. No, the past is in the past. And tomorrow's on its way. It's not here yet. We're going to live with purpose today. God's going to show up in a powerful way. So Jacob, get that mic on and let's go. All right, here we go. Hello, what's up City Church? Are y'all excited to be here this morning? Yeah. All right, that's enough. I've got six minutes. Here we go. I just want to thank Pastor Ben and Annalise first for the opportunity to be up here. I'm so humbled. Um, I'm so gracious. And as I was 
asking God, what do you want to say about grace? What's on your heart, Father? He began to show me areas in my life that I misunderstood his grace, so I just wanted to share those with y'all today. You see, I grew up in church. I was born and raised since I was a little guy <laughs> to a big guy, I guess. Um, every time the doors were open, I was there, every event, every camp. And when I was nine years old, I went to a church here in town. They had this play. And in this play, these people would die in the most scary, horrifying ways. And then they would go up in the clouds, and then they either get to go to heaven, or these little demons would come out and drag them down to hell. And as a nine-year-old, that is terrifying. I'm still worried about monsters under my bed. Now I got to worry about this? And so at the end of the service, they ask, who wants to accept Jesus in your heart? Come on. But the problem was, I didn't do it out of faith. I did it out of fear. So that brings me to my first misconception, that grace is earned. How many of y'all have ever tried to earn God's grace? Maybe you felt a little bad, and so you, you read your Bible a little bit more, you prayed a little bit more. Well, that was a cycle through most of my life. Uh, a majority of my life was just, you know, I would feel bad, so let me do something and validate myself so that I'll feel better. Or what I'll do is I'll look at somebody else and be like, I'm not as jacked up as that guy, so God must love me more, right? And it's this cycle over and over. So let me give you another example. Um, sometimes, like, it, when Alyssa and I get in an argument, and I've probably said something I shouldn't have, the next day I've got to make up for it. And so I turn into Mary Poppins, and I, I sweep the house, I do the laundry, I do the linens, do the dishes, do all of these things, right? And then she gets home, Ta-da! Are you not pleased with, with what I've done? And it wasn't that she wasn't grateful, but what she needed was for me to connect to her heart. She didn't need me to do something for her. She needed me to share my heart with her and know her heart. And in the same way, God doesn't care about our acts of service. He cares more about your heart, what's on the inside. And you see, the difference between Alyssa and God in this story is that I need to share my heart, my heart in order for her to know it. But you see, God already knows your heart. He knows everything about you. He created you. In fact, in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for good, not for destruction, to give you a hope and a future. You see, God knows your biggest fears and your biggest worries. He's not concerned. So when I was 21, I went to a camp or retreat, as I do. And uh, at this retreat, there was something different about it. You see, the Holy Spirit captured my attention, and I was empty on the inside. I'll never forget his voice. He said, Jacob, are you happy with your life? And I wasn't. I was miserable. These games that I played over and over and over and over and over, I began to think, what is my life going to look like in 10 years? It's going to be the exact same. I'm still going to be empty. And I accepted God's grace that night. I said, God, I put it out all on the table. And I said, Lord, I can't do this without you. I want you. I desire you. And he turned my life around that night. It was the most amazing night of my life. And this brings me to my second misconception is now that I've received grace, I can just continue to live how I want. I've got my ticket to heaven, right? But what happens is when his spirit comes inside of you, you're no longer the same person you used to be. You no longer have the same desires. He took my heart of stone and replaced it with a tender heart of flesh. Galatians 2.20 says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives inside of me. So I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm no longer bound by the law. I can live freely however I want, out of love, peace, joy, hope. I've attained all those things, and it's not because of anything I've done. 
It's because he's good. Amen? I'm preaching better than y'all are responding. Come on. This is why we do things here at City Hope. I don't know where your heart's at today. But every person has a story. And every story matters to God. And we truly believe that. You see, in Luke 15, Jesus was speaking with the sinners and the outcasts. And the Pharisees had an issue with it. Why are you talking to them? They're not worthy. So he wanted to show them the heart of the Father. He says, if a shepherd loses a sheep, won't he leave the 99 to go after the one? And once he finds that one, won't he kneel down, put it on his shoulders, and carry it back to the flock? And then he rejoices because this lost has been found. And you see, the thing about sheep is that once they're lost, they're incapable of finding their way back to the flock. If the shepherd doesn't seek it, they're doomed. Jesus is saying, this is the heart of my Father. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. He chases me down. He fights till I'm found. He leaves the 99. I didn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. But still, he gives himself away. None of you are too lost. Nobody's too far. This is the over-the-top grace of God. What is worship? Worship is more than just a song. It's more than just a type of music. Worship is love expressed. It's worth expressed. It's my heart connected to God's heart. Worship can be done corporately like we did here today, and it can be done personally anytime, anywhere as we include God into our lives. I remember the posture of my heart a few years back. I would come into worship or into church, have an attitude, usually come in late towards the back, and I would already have it predetermined that I'm not going to worship unless I feel it, because that's the truth. I don't want to put on a show, so I'm not going to worship unless I feel it. I did that for years until the Lord began to wreck me and he began to take me through his word and he began to teach me how to not only read the Bible but to study it and he began to renew my mind and align my heart with the truth and he taught me that God is worthy to be praised regardless of how I feel he taught me that regardless of what I came in with, regardless of what report I had, regardless if I've had a bad day or a good day, whether I'm anxious, whether I'm depressed, it doesn't matter. When I come in, God is worthy to be praised. In the moments when we come in and we don't feel it, and we're like, I just can't. I don't feel it. Those are the moments where if we incline our hearts towards the Lord's and we sacrificially give him our best out of obedience, and we turn up to him and we lay our problems down at the altar and we say, God, I incline my heart to you on your character, on your worth, who you are. And we shift our focus back to him. So we express love because God first loved us. So in worship, when we express our love, we're expressing it back to him because he first did it for us. Jesus expressed and he demonstrated his great love for us upon the cross. In return, we get to receive this love, and then we can learn how to love him back. Amen. See, we all worship something. What we worship depends it upon what we think is worthy. And let me just tell you something real quick. He loves you right where you're at. 
I don't care if you screwed up this entire day or you screwed up the entire week. The Lord loves you. We hear it a lot, but I want you to get that he loves you, that he died for you while you were still sinning. He went to the cross for you. And he's not nearly as concerned with your behavior as he is your heart. Once he gets your heart, he can fix your behavior. God has never wanted perfection. He's always just wanted your heart. He's never wanted perfect. He's always just wanted our heart. In Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. This is true and proper worship. So as I begin to break that down, that would entitle that we take our thoughts, our emotions, we take our wills, our desires, our actions, and we submit them under authority of God. We offer them to Him as a sacrifice. We take our daily activities, the daily mundane things, the washing the dishes, the doing the laundry, the daily things, the going to work, the coming to work, and we take it and we include him in those moments and we give them to him as a sacrifice. When we totally focus on God and worship, this is the posture of war against the enemy. Did you know that strongholds break, environments shift, things change in the presence of God? One moment in the presence of God changes everything are you in a place today where your worship seems a little dead or where you can't get into it I get there frequently we all do I want to just tell you that in those moments begin to remember what God's done for you begin to remember the rooms he brought you out of you should have died in begin to remember the places you walked out of you should have never came out of begin to remember the things he's done for you begin to remember his character who he is I do this and I say God I begin to remember back I begin to remember God you brought me out of trauma and you protected me you brought me out of anxiety and depression and you gave me joy and peace you never left my side you never abandoned me on my worst day when I thought I couldn't get back up you stood me up and you said daughter I got a hope and I got a future for you and you're going forward you saved my soul God you saved my soul you are worthy to be praised so I just leave you with that remember God is worthy to be praised. Good morning, City Hope, and I'm so glad to uh, be coming to you via video this morning, and I wish I could be there with you. Uh, uh, I'm sure you've already uh, enjoyed Jacob's message on grace and Ariel's uh, message on worship, and uh, this morning I just want to give you a simple message on consistent excellence. Uh, that's just going an extra mile to exceed expectations. Just giving it your all in everything that you do. Uh, I'll set the foundation for this by uh, reading Colossians 3 and 23. Work willingly, not grudgingly, willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. And by doing so, we get the opportunity to show the love of God, uh, to just demonstrate that to the world around us. Now, uh, I want to approach this a little bit differently. I know a lot of times you hear serving with excellence. Uh, it comes across like you're getting beat across the head, like you need to serve and, and you just need to get up and do something. Um, I want to take a look at it from this angle. What are those things stopping you from serving? 
And so I'll use my story and some of the things that I felt that stopped me from giving my all and serving with a spirit of excellence in the kingdom. And as I uh, meditated on these things, uh, I thought about uh, some oppositions that came my way. And so I pray that as you listen to these things, that they, uh, they, they speak to your heart and, and you take my story and apply it to yourself and then you turn that thing around. So there are three oppositions. One and the first one I'll hit is commitment. Uh, commitment is just going all in whatever it is that you're doing. And so right now, I'll just take a celebration break uh, and talk about commitment. I want to uh, just give a shout out to the Dream Team. They've made it possible for us to be here each and every weekend. So if you could just give them a quick round of applause. So, hey, I, we just thank those guys so much. Uh, and. Before you leave here today, find a dream teamer and, and uh, tell them thank you. And if you are a dream teamer, give yourself a high five. Uh, and if you want to be a dream teamer, uh, next week we have growth track going and we can get you all signed up and ready to go. Uh, but back to commitment. I found it hard to commit because I was just so busy and there was just so much going on, uh, whether it was school, the kids, work or whatever, there was just so much going on and I just couldn't add anything else to my plate. Uh, and so with commitment comes a level of sacrifice. And so that reminds me of a joke of a uh, chicken and a uh, pig walking down the road. Uh, they happen to pass the diner on Sunday morning and they see the special. Uh, it's ham, sausage, bacon, eggs for $5. And the chicken is all dejected because the chicken says, man, is that a whole life? We're just relegated down to just Sunday morning breakfast. Uh, and then the pig looked at the chicken and says, well, you know, that might just be your contribution to breakfast. But uh, for me, it's an all out commitment because I'm all on the table. Uh, that's what it is. Sometimes we just have to be all in. It's just commitment. We have to go all out and we have to give it our all. Life gets busy and, and I totally understand it. Uh, but sometimes we just have to push some of that stuff aside. Uh, we have to commit you know, those things to Christ and sit, sit aside our plans sometimes and think about his plans. Proverbs 16 and three says, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. That simply means that you can't lose. You commit to the things of Christ and he'll ensure that all of your plans succeed in life. Now, once you commit and you're doing a good job there, uh, you're gonna need some discipline along the way. And I wasn't a very disciplined person. So the next opposition is just discipline. Uh, in my men's small group, we talk about discipline. Uh, and a simple definition that would come, we get out of the material there is that discipline is just doing what you know you need to do, even though you don't feel like doing it, right? There's a lot of times I just don't feel like waking up at five in the morning, getting ready to come and set up. But after doing it and being so committed to doing it, uh, it just feels right. I actually feel kind of weird sitting here on video because I hadn't been there uh, in so many mornings setting up for church. Uh, and so it will come, but we have to change how we think. Uh, Paul talked about uh, himself when he compared himself to an athlete going for the prize. And that prize is what we're all going for. And that is to see Jesus Christ one day. Uh, and he says in 1 Corinthians 9 and 27 that I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should do. Uh, those things that we should do and, and not necessarily wanting to do it. Uh, Romans 12 and 2, he talks about transforming the mind, thinking 
not like we are working for someone else, but that we are doing this thing for the love of God. And, and that's how we have to think about it. Uh, excellence in all we do is excellent in the kingdom and doing the work for Christ. Uh, and so as we're committed and as we get more discipline in that work that we're doing, uh, I found myself uh, still having a problem. And I think many of you may relate to this. And that problem, this opposition was that I just didn't feel like I was qualified. I just didn't feel like I was good enough. And I had to grasp the concept that God is my source, that God equips the call. He doesn't call the equipped. I don't have to be equipped and experienced to go do what God has called me to do because he is my source. I'm just going to go and he's just going to do whatever he wants to do with me. And I'm just going to let him. And I had to grasp that concept. Uh, so in Romans 9, Paul, he, he says here in verse 11, but before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, uh, he calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. It doesn't matter what you've done. He calls you no matter what you've done, right? He wants you here no matter what you've done. Hebrews 13 and 21, the writer uh, in the closing remarks there says, uh, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. And if there's still some things that are holding you back and you're like, eh, I don't really buy this. I, I'm still not qualified to do it. Well, the Bible has some great examples. Moses had a speech impediment uh, and he led the children of Israel out of Egypt. David was a shepherd boy and he became the king of Israel. Paul killed Christians. By gosh, he wrote most of the New Testament. And me, Tim Turner, uh, if you only know some of the mistakes I've made, you was like, wow, if God can use him, he can use me too. And so I will leave you with this. Uh, excellence does not mean perfection. Uh, and so if you think you're disqualified, I ask that you think again. And then trust God along the way. And so I want to encourage you today that you can be committed to the work of Christ. You can be disciplined to do that work. And you are absolutely qualified and called by God to do that work. And so as you're doing that work uh, and your gifts or you're growing in those gifts and you're doing the things that God has called you to do, uh, being generous with those gifts will be that one thing that will bring even more joy into your life. So today I'm talking about generosity. I know everybody has that, oh God, here we go again, the money talk. But I think it goes more in depth than just about money, just about your 10%. God did say, give 10% of your income to the church and to people. But I think it's more than that. It's not just giving it, it's about where your heart is when you give it. And I, I feel like there's three things um, that, that breaks down generosity to me. It's not just giving money. And we're gonna break these down, giving your treasure, that's your money, your 10% giving your time, helping somebody out of your way for God's kingdom, and giving your talent, your gift. Everybody has a gift, everybody. And if you don't know your gift and you're still searching, searching for it, we have growth track starting next week and we can plug you in and we can find that gift and we can get you right in. God says when we get to heaven, he will have a hundredfold beyond return in eternal life. 
So what does that mean when you give your time, your treasure, and your talent? What does that mean? It means that you'll be racking in heaven if you give them all three, if you know what I'm saying. No, but seriously, what you give on earth will be given back to you on earth as in in heaven. And we're going to break that down in a minute. But in 2016, me and my wife, my beautiful wife right here, we, uh, we had it. See, when we got married, we kind of had the jobs. We had the cars. We had the house. We had the dog. We had the wife, the, the little baby girl. We had everything. But our heart wasn't in it. Our heart was hurting. It was burning inside. There was something that, there's, there's something wrong. Like we're not, we have everything on paper, but we're just hurting. In 2017, uh, God just said, you're moving to Wichita Falls with Ben and, ben and Annalise. And we was like, no, we're not. And he said, yeah, you are. So we prayed about it. We prayed. And before uh, we go to their house to tell them, literally in the driveway, we pray, Lord, if this doesn't happen, let them say no right now because we do not want to go. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Am I serious? I'm, I'm dead, dead serious. I was like, we do not want to go there. We don't even know where it's at. But... <laughs> But, you know, we, we went. You know, God's like, no, you're going. They said, yeah, we'd love for you guys to go. We'd love it. And we're like, okay. And so we packed up. We sold our house. We sold everything we had. We moved out here with no jobs, no, no insurance, not even a house. But you know what? We have been blessed. And when we moved out here, we said, we're giving everything. We're giving our house. We're giving our time, our money, our talents, anything we can, we're going to give it to this church and to the people in this community. And since we've been here, we have been blessed on measure. It has been so good, so good. Because when we give back, when we give our 10%, I started a company here doing concrete work. And every time I give our tithes from the, from the company and our personal, the phone rings. Why? I don't know people from here. I don't, I'm 800 miles away. How do people know me? But the phone rings. When I give my talent to the youth group and to everybody I can, it, it, it blesses them and it blesses me. God says, oh, here we go. We're going to turn you up a little more. When I give my time to somebody to go out of my way to help them, God's like, here's some more time. Here's some time to rest and enjoy your family. So, when, so who wants to be more like God in here? Anybody? When you, when you are giving, you are more like God more than ever in your entire life. Because he gave his best. When we give our time, when we give our talent, our best ability from the deep, from deep down, we are more like God more than ever. In John uh, 12.3, we're going to look at what, what happened. This is Mary anointed Jesus' feet. And we're going to break this down and we're gonna, we're, I'm going to show you something really cool. Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume and made, uh, of made of essential oils. I'm just kidding. Everybody likes them. I do too. But made of an essence of nard. And she anointed Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. And then when she left, she left with it also. But you're like, hold up, Jason. How did she do that? She dumped it all on his feet. Okay, let's break this down. She has this jar. She's kneeled down in front of Jesus, this expensive perfume, and just dumping it on Jesus' feet and says, you're worthy of everything, the best I have, and just massaging his feet and says, God, I'm giving you everything. And so she takes her hair and she's wiping it clean, wiping it all off. She gets up and she steps out. And she just doesn't leave it all behind. That fragrance in her hair is still there. And it's, it's all over her. So she, when she's walking around, she, it's, it's everywhere. Everybody's smelling it, getting its whiffed up. You got to think, this thing's sitting in a jar for who knows how long. No one's been able to smell it. And no one knows how it smells. But she, she has that all over her. And people around her are getting it. 
And not just that, let's look back in the room. When she opened the jar and doing it to Jesus' feet, the whole room got uh, that fragrance in it. So when you, when you give your time, your talent, your best you can to be an extravagant generosity, there's other people around you that are going to get soaked up. They're going to get changed, life change. I feel like we should have a weekly meeting with ourselves. What do you mean? I have meetings all the time. Well, I mean just on the way back to, to your house from work, two, three minutes. And just ask yourself, have I given my best to somebody this week? Have I given my best to the church or anything? And in that thing, I think giving your best, encouraging somebody, giving a compliment to somebody is probably the best thing that we can do. Giving a compliment to somebody costs you nothing, but it's priceless to someone else. And I, I think that's a big thing. Somebody, you walk into work one day, somebody, your coworker walks in, and they're just like, just woke up and just not in the greatest mood, like they want to take their life or something, because that's real. Taking lives is real, and they, 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 they feel that inside. And you stop and you say, hey, I love you. Thank you for being here. Their life has changed in a moment. Something that has cost you nothing is priceless to them. So what does that mean? Giving your best and giving your, your everything you have. It means that you're going to be fulfilled. Your whole life is going to be filled with joy and peace and coverance. Wow, 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 y'all. All right, six minutes. I uh, just wanted to tell you guys, in case you didn't know, family gatherings, they can get weird. Anyone have any weird family members in here? If they're next to you, you don't have to raise your hands. I probably should have said that first. My family, we would have indoor water fights that we would drag people across the house, throw them in the tub and turn the shower on. We'd, uh, I don't know why, but we'd have pinatas at every event. Like that was normal. Um, and one time my mom was asked to pray over Thanksgiving and she got up on the chair, onto the table and literally prayed over Thanksgiving meal like that was normal. And for us it was. For my mom it was, not for us. <laughs> so coming into City Hope, it might seem like some things are weird. What's with all the smiling faces, you know? What's with the high fives, the passionate worship? You know, uh, why are we always giving back to the community, going out and interacting with people despite COVID? <laughs> Just kidding, if the governor's listening. Um, to some, you know, that, that might be confusing, but, but all of this is just a joyful celebration. Because we now know God, we've discovered our purpose, we've found freedom, and we want to make a difference, right? So it wasn't enough for us to see God doing something in Wichita Falls. We had to join the party, right? So this is a party, and good news, y'all have been invited. So fun story, uh, I actually was not invited when I was eight years old. I don't want to take a turn for the worse here. Billy White did not invite me to his birthday party. And my mom, she put me in the car when she found out, drove me to his house, dropped me off, and I had that walk of shame. Everyone's up there uh, signing his cast, and they turned around and said, why are you here? So I went inside his house, and I took the phone off the hook, dialed 911, and I peaced out. That was it. I know that wasn't the right response, but uh, I wasn't invited. I didn't have a relationship, right? But in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, the word says, come to me. So simple, such a sweet invitation. Come to me, all you weary and heavy laden. That's us. We've all fallen short, but God has been waiting for us. And he's gotten us excited here. We've been waiting for you. This is a party. And at parties, we give, we get, we have a community, family, friends. It's a moment to turn everything off and be present, right? Anybody like to party? I like to party. Hit me up. So 
Why do we get up on Sundays? Why don't we just sleep in? Why do we come to church? We do it to give. We do it to get, to have community, family, and friends. I love in 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9, it says, Though we have not seen him, we love him. Though we do not now see him, we believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. So why, everything that God's doing on the inside, why can I not put words to it? What do I need to do? And it goes on in verse 9 to talk about why we do that. It's because we're obtaining the outcome of our faith. It's the salvation of our souls, y'all. God, we, we gave our hearts to the Lord, but he's perfecting what he's doing in and through you. And that is a beautiful thing. That's something we got to celebrate, right? Okay, you're starting to wake up. So this is not a time to spectate. I know sometimes we go to church to punch our little you know, card in. This isn't a time to spectate or speculate. It's a time to celebrate. So we've been invited, right? You got your invitation and you're here. You see the party. I know the worship team was killing it but you still hesitate. Maybe you feel unwelcome. Maybe you feel disqualified. Whatever is going on on the inside, I just have to say, we all have problems, and if you think you don't have one, that is your problem. That's right. That one's free. So I've come to say that every mess in your life can be a ministry. Every test that you're going through can be a testimony. Does anyone here have a testimony? Right? That's it? Wow. Okay. Anybody forgiven of sins, redeemed, rescued, transformed? I got a real question for y'all. Has anybody been physically healed? Like God moving on our bodies, doing big things. Has anybody had, uh, like Jason was talking about, so you don't have to raise your hand this time. Uh, God supernaturally providing. There was no way, and then boom, God made it happen. So God is real, he is good, and that's why we're all welcome, right? So we've been invited, this is a party, and we're welcome, so we gotta celebrate. So what does that look like on Sundays? Anybody, I know I'm the worship leader. Anybody been hesitating, raising their hands in worship? It's okay, we can, well now you're halfway there. You got one hand up, just lift the other one up, you good. All right, so we, we lift our voices, we lift our hands, we clap, we dance, we give Pastor Ben an amen, amen. Mm-hmm. All of that is just a momentary outward expression of what God's doing on the inside, right? So we know how to celebrate on Sunday. We can show up for two hours and, is it two hours? I guess it's just an hour. It feels longer when you speak. <laughs> but, uh, sorry. So we can show up on Sundays, but what does it look like to joyfully celebrate Monday through Saturday? City Hope has made it easy, right? You just love God, love people, and give hope. Sounds easy enough until you're talking to your wife or your kids or you're at work or you're at school, right? We need to figure out how to take this relationship with the Lord and joyfully celebrate in those moments day in and day out. So let's celebrate joyfully. Jesus, though we have not seen you, we love you. Though we do not now see you, we believe in you and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Let's love God, love people, and give hope, y'all. If anyone ever asks you guys to uh, speak from a platform like this, I highly suggest you do not go last after five other amazing speakers. This is a lot more intimidating than first service. Has anyone in here ever had a bad day? Had a bad week? 
had those hopeless moments where you're like, man, when is this day going to end? What else could go wrong? And I guarantee you, if you say that, something else is going to go wrong. I had about eight hopeless years, um, a season of my life that I felt like nothing was going to go right. About 10 years ago, I was the driver of the car that ran over a little boy on a bicycle. Back then, I didn't have a cell phone. I had some friends with me, and so they take off running to see if they can find someone, but we're several miles away. So for about 20 minutes, I sit and talk to this little boy. I get to know him. We laugh. And he was okay until he wasn't. For years, the shame and the guilt consumed me. I thought that I could, I could right my wrong. I thought that I could earn my salvation. I thought that the more generous I was to people, the more good works I did for someone, the more that God would forgive me. It doesn't work like that. About two years after the accident, I woke up and I knew something was wrong. I, I felt sick, but it wasn't like the flu. It wasn't like the cold. So I went to school anyways, and later that afternoon, I, I woke up in the hospital with a team of surgeons standing over me saying, Allie, we're so sorry, but your heart is failing. What I didn't know this day was that I'd spend the next six years in a hospital, heart surgery after heart surgery, 20 different pills, days that I could not get out of bed. There's days I didn't want to get, I didn't want to wake up. It was eight hopeless years of feeling empty inside, feeling like there was nothing that could fulfill that, that burning desire in my heart. After some conversations with my family and my husband, we had decided that quality of life trumped quantity of years lived. So we decided we were done. I just wanted to go home. I just wanted to be with my family. So on my final doctor's appointment, we did all the tests. And uh, we're driving to, to Baylor, to the hospital. And on the way, my husband and I were talking about things that you should never have to talk about. We're planning funerals. We're making, making arrangements. We're talking about what's going to happen with him and our house and all the things after I'm gone. And it was on that drive that I decided, you know what? I don't want to leave angry. I don't want to leave with this, with this hole in my heart. So I didn't only pray to God for the very first time about the accident. I begged him to show me if there was any hope left for me, that he'd just show up in a powerful way. I honestly didn't believe he would. I thought that that was like my Hail Mary. That was my last ditch effort for something to happen. We arrived to the hospital later that day and uh, we, t we run all the tests and my team of surgeons come in my room and my, my main surgeon, Dr. Franklin, he, he looks me in the eyes and he's got tears rolling down his face. And I kind of laugh and I said, all right, well, I guess I'm out of time. There's that. He sits on my bed and, and hands me a stack of papers. And he says, Allie, there is no medical or scientific way that I can prove this, but there is not a single thing wrong with your heart after leaving this hospital with almost nothing left. This is the day that my relationship with Jesus began. You see, I had religion. I was a Christian. I went to church. I did all the things, but I was m missing the relationship. The theme verse here is in Isaiah 11.1. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. You see, the, the shoot represents um, David's father, the king of Israel. The royal family had to be brought down to its stump, leveled to the ground so that it could be rebuilt again. You see, I, I was brought to my stump. 
I was so focused on the fruit. I was focused on what I could do, what I could fix, that I missed, I missed the branch. I missed what Jesus could do. You see, to miss the struggle is to miss how God really works. It had to be hard for Joseph to believe that his virgin wife was pregnant. It had to be hard for Mary to believe something impossible. Not only did God choose a virgin, a womb that meant complete impossibility, he didn't even make hotel reservations on his way to the birth. God doesn't always show you his plan, and he doesn't always make things easy. Even with my relationship with Jesus, it didn't mean that, that things would just be happy-go-lucky and we'd never have any hard times. Over the last three years, my husband and I have been trying to conceive a child. It's been hard. We've had a lot of tears. We've had a lot of heartache. But we've had such a hope that he would fulfill that desire in our heart. A couple days ago, we found out that we were having our first possible miscarriage. And even in those times, we never lost hope because we know that God is going to fulfill that desire in our hearts. I was talking to a a 15-year-old boy the other day. And I asked him, hey, Ashton, who's your favorite teacher and why? And he said, without hesitation, well, both of my parents and my grandma. And I said, well, why did you choose them over your teachers from your school? And he said, well, those teachers gave me knowledge. But my parents taught me who I am. Later on in the conversation, we were talking about some of the greatest lessons that his parents and his grandma gave him. And he said, one thing I'll never forget is that if sadness didn't exist, happiness wouldn't feel so good. In Romans, it says, a hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait patiently. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait patiently. You see, if you put your hope in your bank account, it will go empty. If you put your hope in your spouse to fix your marriage, it will not work. If you put your hope in a government agency, you just need a lot of prayers. If you put your hope in a doctor's diagnosis, you will never completely heal. Have you ever considered that God is bringing this nation down to its stump so it can be rebuilt in Jesus' name? If hope wasn't hard, you'd just trust in yourself. There are some of you here today that are brought down to the stump. You're looking for hope and reconciliation and infertility and a medical diagnosis, the grief after a loss of the one of the loved one. You're looking for your business to be saved. I'm telling you right now, you do not have to leave here only a stump. But some of you are saying, well, Allie, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't get it. You're right, I don't. But Jesus does. I can tell you that if I can stand up here 
after holding a little boy in my arms while he stops breathing and then stand up here to tell you about it 10 years later there is hope for you too Jesus desires your heart he desires to provide you that relentless hope that only he can a shoe will come up from the stump of Jesse you just have to reach out and take it